Hey everybody, it's time to talk about our corporate overlords over at Fangoria. This classic magazine has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. Not only is Fangoria highly collectible, if you get yourself an annual subscription, it comes right to your front door four times a year, and each issue is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking past, present, and future with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way and occasionally your intrepid KingCast hosts from time to time as well. This high-quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun, you will need to subscribe. And to do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and, well, sign up. And since KingCast listeners are in the family, all you have to do is go over there, Fangoria.com, enter in your promo code KingCast at checkout, and you'll save a whopping 25% off your entire order. It's a good deal, folks. Go take it. And with all of that said, on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Well, sometimes that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. We've got what I imagine will be a very entertaining episode for you today, gang. Our guest is the frontman of Eve Six, a band whose debut album went platinum ages ago and whose song soundtracked the high school years of virtually every 80s kid, as well as an advice columnist and a noted social media personality who can frequently be found getting into all manner of hijinks over on Twitter.com. Today, he's here to talk to us about, you know, they got a hell of a band, a story and tragically unfortunate adaptation (laughs) from King's 1992 anthology, Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hearts in a blender and welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Max Collins, a.k.a. the Eve Six Guy. Max, how are you doing? Today? <laughs> I'm I'm doing well, Scott and Eric. Thank you for having me. I got to ask about, you know, you're going by Eve Six Guy. Like, do you, do you mind that? Because I was trying to figure out what your show card was going to look like. And I was like, well, it would say Eve Six Guy versus. And then I was no. like, well, he might be annoyed by that. Maybe it's maybe it's Max Collins. No, I mean, I kind of started it. Um, yeah, no, Eve Six guys is fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, I've referred to myself as the heart in a blender guy, which is, you know, mm-hmm. slight, you know, pro- probably a little bit more embarrassing, but I go towards all this stuff. Oh, right. You, you seem to have a really good sense of self-awareness. Um, you know what I mean? Like you're, uh, you you see like that's your big song that's the song that everyone's always like pointing out to you you know but uh you you seem to have a good sense of humor about it you're not like oh fuck again with this yeah no i mean i think i look at the whole thing pretty objectively and like uh can kind of see what's funny about it and um my feelings about sort of my strange like music career because we were so you know we were teenagers when we put that record out and stuff um yeah is uh yeah it's you know it's it's varied it's uh pride mingled with embarrassment and gratitude and (laughs) a whole uh, a whole bunch of stuff but uh yeah i definitely don't take any of it too seriously and i think that's 
that's been fun for people to watch, which in turn is, you know, fun for me. You've also got this, like, uh, this side gig going on where you're an advice columnist now. How did, how did that come about? Yeah, believe it or not, it kind of came out, uh, came about (laughs) in a roundabout way because of, um, John Hinckley Jr., uh, failed presidential assassin. Mm -hmm. Um, who did a tweet about a year ago wherein he listed all of the bands that he was listening to. And among them was, was Eve six. And I just replied to his tweet saying something like, let's do a song together, John. And the editor of input magazine, Mark Yarm, uh, DM'd me and was, was like, if you can get an interview with John Hinckley, we'll, we'll commission you for it. This was before his, uh, you know, court stuff was lifted before he was free, basically, which just happened like a month, month or two mm-hmm. ago. So, you know, we learned that he wasn't allowed to do any press or anything like that. But that started a conversation between uh, Mark and I about something I could maybe do for the magazine. And I have jokingly said an advice column. Um, and he said, you know, I'm actually a in a, in a meeting with, you know, an input meeting right now. And I just floated that idea and people really like it. Um, so I was like, all right, shit, let's, let's give this a try. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. Like I'm, I'm really enjoying doing it. I didn't know. I, I mean, I, I said it pretty flippantly, but like, I'm really approaching it pretty earnestly trying to be, you know, entertaining and humorous where I can be and stuff. But, uh, I'm I'm an old man. I've lived through some shit, and if if I have some uh, some wisdom to offer, maybe then uh, it feels good to be able to uh, you know give that to folks. And so far, people have have responded pretty well to it. So, yeah, I'm I'm really getting a, a kick out of it. And uh, you you recently interviewed um, John Hinckley. That thing was so fucking fascinating to read. Like the advice columns. I, I, I read every one, you know, every, every time you post one. Uh, and first of all, I'm really impressed with your writing skills. Uh, and, and secondly, I was really impressed with that interview because it was it was fucking human. You know, it felt like, you know, this this idea of forgiveness is um, something that I think, you know, we could all stand to learn a thing or two about, especially like right now. You know, of like letting people like grow and learn from their mistakes. Maybe, yeah. you know, if they got canceled or maybe they tried or they shot a president, um, whatever they may be. <laughs> but but like what a fucking piece of work that was. Uh, were you surprised to find yourself in that position talking to the guy? Well, thank you so much um, for, for saying that. Yeah, I uh, I was and I didn't think. You know, even after he like agreed to do it, you know, I, I spoke to his manager for a while and and she like kind of vetted me and stuff. But I kind of didn't think it was going to happen until it finally uh, actually, you know, until he actually called me like three hours before the scheduled time for the interview after saying no, he actually he didn't want to do the interview because he doesn't want to do Zoom. And it was like this whole thing. So, right. Um, you know, I was shocked that, that there was even a chance of it happening, let, let alone that it, that it did happen. 
Yeah, he's a really interesting figure for the obvious reasons. And then also because he's like, you know, uh, for my money, like a, a really beautiful songwriter and not not everyone agrees. But, you know, I think his his songs are are really good and and touching. And um, I started listening to his stuff when we were doing this Eve six tour in May and was like, yeah, the, the juxtaposition of, you know, who people think Hinkley is versus the, this, these songs that he's writing and where he's kind of focusing his uh, emotional and artistic energy. Now, you know, there's like a chasm between, between the two. And that's really what I think uh, makes him interesting to me. Cause yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. And, and yeah, he's a guy, you know, I mean, like, uh, you know, fairly easy to talk to. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, obviously he bristled uh, a little bit, like when you brought up the, the whole thing about him shooting Reagan or, or shooting. Was it Reagan? Jesus yeah. Christ. It's been a long day, y'all. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, yeah. But like, yeah, he bristled a little bit of, uh, about that. And I was. I guess I'm not surprised, but also surprised because, of course, you're going to get asked about that at some point. But otherwise, yeah. he seemed like rational. You know, he didn't seem in that interview. I think he came through pretty well. Yeah. You know, his um, he, he's borderline effusive when he's talking about music and stuff. Um, he I mean, his personal his his personality is, I guess you know, it's a little muted. I think he is on like, um, you know, some substantial medications and stuff like that. But sure. Um, I think, you know, he, he definitely gets excited to talk about music and I do think it would serve him to just, uh, you know, cause like you said, people are going to ask him about the thing. And, um, I think being willing to address it and talk about it, pointedly would serve him and make make it less difficult for people who want to look at him in bad faith now to so um yeah i when i wrote up my questions for the interview i i didn't you know have i, I wasn't asking about anything from his past but mark yarm uh at input who who did the interview with me and recorded it was like you know it'll it's journalistic malpractice not not to bring this up like you, you know, can't not bring it up and uh and he shouldn't be shocked by it right so let's uh let's start here max um what is your stephen king origin story well so like i'm ashamed to say i've i've never read a stephen king novel i mm -hmm. i I did. I was. I probably became aware of who he was in like middle school when, um, you know, the the kids who kind of dressed like the Columbine shooters would be like <laughs> carrying, carrying around these, you know, tomes, and uh -huh. uh, I just remember thinking, "Wow, that's a big goddamn book! Like that's the <laughs> biggest book." <I've> ever <laughs> um, and then of course you know, realized that uh, he's like this, you know, insanely prolific writer and 
um, there are tons of movies made uh, about his, you know, adaptations of his novels and all, all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, I've never, I've never read him, which is, which is embarrassing. Um, are I, you a reader in general though? I am. Um, I am a reader. I, gr I grew up like in one of those kind of weird religious families where we weren't allowed television or video no. games. <laughs> Yikes. So, so what denomination yeah, was, out of curiosity? Um, raised Catholic, but then when we moved from, um, when we moved from Miami to LA, when I, it, I guess it was, uh, like 1990, the summer before uh, I went into sixth grade, my, my mom didn't like the Catholic church in our neighborhood. So we started going to a Southern Baptist church, which like, uh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was like my, my memories of, of, you know, go, like the Catholic stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I sort of got a kick out of like the production of the whole thing. I didn't, I, I, I didn't protest too much about having to go to church. Like I was an altar boy for a minute. I kind of enjoyed that. Um, like, you know, you know, being part of a performance, <laughs> right. um, and you know neatly evaded anything awful happening to me thankfully uh -huh. um, <laughs> <laughs> neatly avoided <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah the southern baptist experience was was like that was that's when i really you know that the that church was like all fire and brimstone this is what hell is like this is what you know this is what you know, the experience of, of hell is, you know, uh, pitch blackness and you can only hear screams and it's like that for all eternity. So accept Jesus into your heart right now or else like all, all mm -hmm. of that stuff that sucked. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but and, yeah, yeah. And like, that kind of turned you off of religion too. Is that, is that the thing that, yeah, that, that yeah. big time turned me, turned me off from, from religion, but, um, I do have like, uh, how would I put it? Like when people refer to themselves as spiritual now, it's it just sounds so empty and open, but, um, you know, I'm like a sober guy and stuff. And I like, I've done that work and, um, you know, I am, yeah, a spiritual person. I do, I do have a God concept that like works for me now and stuff, but I definitely had to go through the obligatory, like, you know, Chris Hitchens phase and all of <laughs> right. that stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, so the only real entertainment recourse we had as kids was reading. So I read a lot. And then after, like, after our band broke up, um, Eve six broke up in like Oh three after we got dropped from RCA and, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're dealing with a whole bunch of, you know, just attendant bullshit to having just been sort of rock stars for a minute at, you know, before our brains were fully developed. I, you know, I, band broke up. I had like nothing but time. I had plenty of money, um, in the bank still at the time. And I was just like, I'm, I got on this kick where I just decided I was going to start reading all the books I felt like I should have read. And 
just that's kind of all I did for a for a couple of years was like chain smoke, read <laughs> it, like you know classics like you know Dickens and Dostoevsky, all like all the Russians basically. I forced myself to read uh, Milton's Paradise Lost. Didn't mm. retain any of it, but it was just like sort of like a, a you know a feat of strength or something like that. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, so like, and then I would like wait as long as I could to start drinking and then I, I drink and then I do the same thing the next day. That was my life for a couple mm-hmm. of years. It was kind of awesome, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you're li- living out that Twilight Zone episode minus the uh, broken glasses part. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, and- like, well, what I, about the movies? Like, uh, have you have you? I, I assume you've seen like The Shining, Pet Cemetery, shit like that. Yeah, yeah, and Shawshank Redemption is his too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah oh yeah. yeah. Are you uh, a horror guy? No, not 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 really. I I never I never really got deep into the into the genre, I guess. But uh, I'm not like averse to it either. I guess it's just not where my like natural taste inclination went or something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that why uh you didn't like throw in the stand or it or something in your your two-year-long reading adventure (laughs) yeah i guess (laughs) i guess so because if you can handle handle tolstoy you can uh you can you can handle uh uh you know the plague book the 1200 page plague book yeah, I think there was an element of sort of like self-flagellation to those couple years where not mm. that I didn't enjoy any any of the reading because <laughs> I because I did, but I really wanted it to feel like to feel like work or something. Um, right. It was like maybe some weird way of doing penance for the fact that like uh, I, I don't know, like the story of my band was what it was, and it all felt a little bit silly. And it's like, okay, it's time to fucking eat some vegetables. You know what I mean? Right. Enrich the soul a little yeah. bit after yeah. you've been off the reservation for a while. I get, I, I, I yeah, I get exactly. That. Well, so that means that the Stephen King short story that we sent you for this uh, must be the first Stephen King you've ever read. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And, and like I, like I said, I, I read part one before realizing there were five parts. And since I left it to the last minute, I did not finish <laughs> the, the entire thing, but um, yeah, I mean, I was struck immediately by how like, you know, it's gripping. It's like, uh, uh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in fucking yeah. need, need to know more. Like he definitely has a, has of I mean of course he does a, a way of of doing prose that just like pulls you right in. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Also, unfortunately, we uh, sent you the link to the uh, episode that this yeah. was that was adapted for the Nightmares and Dreamscapes TV series that was on TNT some years ago. It's uh, well, that's um, it's not very good, is it? No, is that one of the funniest pieces of television I've ever seen in my life? There's, yeah, but but I mean, I enjoyed it for for that reason too. I guess, like you know, from from a from a bit of a of a, of an ironic distance. Yeah, but there was also something pleasantly nostalgic about it too. Like it just felt like 
It's like a Tales from the Crypt episode. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like stepping into another time and dimension, not 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 the one that you were supposed to, you know, suspend disbelief before because disbelief for because it was so absurd. But just into like, I don't know, another time where, yeah, like just the way it was done, everything about it was like the choices made were so silly and. Some of the jokes so like off color and yeah, like uh I I I enjoyed every minute of it. I really did. Also massively constrained by its budget. It's almost like the bottle episode of that entire like it that that show only ran for a season. But it's outside of Crouch yeah. End, you know, which is another episode of that, uh it's 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 maybe the worst one. Which, you know, uh, is precisely why I recommended it to you. And also, <laughs> glad you like, yeah, and, we, you know, we, we've been talking about doing this uh, title for a minute and I wanted but I wanted a musician to cover it, you know, and uh, so I'm really I'm really glad you're you're here with us today to talk about it. For anyone who is unfamiliar with the story, would you be willing to lay out the 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 plot? Like what happens in, you know, they got a hell of a band. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this, uh, this, you know, relatively young couple, kind of like yuppie couple, um, decide that they want to go on a road trip to experience Oregon, you know, outside of, of whatever Portland or whatever suburb of it they're, they're living in. He's like an IT dork, kind of, and she's his like, loving but like kind of eye rolling at the fact that he's not really like uh a man's man um uh (laughs) life (laughs) not a lumberjack not a lumberjack he ain't a lumberjack and yeah so they they embark on this road trip and they they end up you know through a series of like well, little literal wrong turns in this <laughs> town called um, Rock and Roll Heaven, which is a, 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 a small a small town, a tiny town populated by dead rock stars. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, like who? Chaos. Like who? Who appears in this? In this well, story? you you got uh, Ronnie Van Sant. Mm-hmm. You you've got um, Roy Orbison. Who I thought I thought those two likenesses were actually pretty spot on. Like I I did the Leonard Skinner guy before they let us know that that was supposed to be him. Uh, <laughs> Roy Orbison was 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 good. Um, Janis Joplin not so much. Uh, <laughs> you know not not an uncanny resemblance. The El- Elvis was ridiculous. Like it was the worst Elvis I've ever seen. <laughs> right. Yeah. You right. S- you see better better looking Elvis impersonators down on the strip in Vegas. Totally. You know, totally. Trying to charge tourists twenty bucks for a photo. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, yeah. So they show up in this town. There's all these dead rock stars there. How does it end? Um the the rock stars, you know, <laughs> ba- basically like uh, haunt and psychologically and, and emotionally terrorized this this young couple um and the fun really funny thing about the show was that like the the husband just didn't really seem to mind or um process in any way 
the supernatural nature of what was going on no, right. like, nor the danger inherent nor the danger yeah it's just kind of rolling with the punches oh they're gonna do a show now even though i just ran over fucking you know, <laughs> hendrix or whoever it was with my car nine times and he and he uh you know just like popped back up like the yeah. whatever in the terminator there, there's yeah, an interesting ahead. thing there about I mean, in the TV show, it, it's more about just the kind of clueless husband trope that he won't ask for directions. He'll get them lost and he's stubborn and, and won't admit that, that he's wrong. And if he admits there's something dangerous in this town, you know, then he's got to admit that his wife was right and he can't do that because he's a man. That's there, There's a little bit of that in the short, but it's I think it's more in, apparent in the short that he is he, he is kind of attracted to the nostalgia of that town right yeah right and That's and that cool. i think is a way more interesting idea than how they presented in the in the television adaptation uh because that is something that like it's only grown worse since king wrote that story in terms totally. of looking back there's always been nostalgia you know for all the nostalgia critics out there you know, I mean, I grew up in an era where fifties diners were the hottest fucking thing in the world. Right. And the, yeah. and the wonder years was the number one show on TV. And, you know, it's like, yeah. uh, you know, back to the future, the parents loved, you know, seeing the fifties, you know, resurrected there. That's always been a thing, but like now nostalgia is like just the main course for any, uh, media and entertainment that you, uh, you know that you uh, consume so there is something really interesting and kind of ahead of its time uh with king writing about somebody who um you know is kind of uh, uh attracted to this town which is uh, think of it like a venus flytrap you know that uses the nostalgia of all these uh, mm-hmm. dead <laughs> rock stars you know for this boomer to essentially just want to s- stick around and not you know, and ignore all the danger signs and not, not yeah. uh, leave when his wife does. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Yeah. He's willing to be led directly to hell or rock and roll heaven mm-hmm. um, by this pull of, of nostalgia of like, you know, you know, rose colored lenses. Um, and yeah, today it seems that that's almost all that's on offer. Um, yeah. Just in the short part that I read of the story, you really feel King's, um, condescension for you know rightfully for like the husband character and like right. the way he talks about <laughs> yeah. his his mouth getting smaller the you know the more petulant and like angry he he gets um yeah at his own little like you know foibles that he's not willing to admit yeah it's definitely it's told um this is very much a sister's story i think to children of the corn which is yep. another similar yep. uh premise where you have kind of this you know, unhappy marriage, you know, this unhappy couple in a car driving somewhere. And then they end up a place where they're not supposed to be. Um, Children of the corn has corn boys that try to kill them with scythes and, and worship a, a God behind uh, the, the rose of corn. But, but here it's a little bit more insidious, which is also very interesting. Cause I think King could have gone one of two ways and have been equally Stephen King he, uh, about it. He goes one way, which is the way he did, which is a little bit more of the dark Stephen King, you know, where these rock gods and rock stars, they, they aren't just themselves, you know, kind of in a happy afterlife. They're essentially resurrected as 
these almost demonic entities like the Elvis doesn't have any eyes for instance. And, you know, and uh, buddy Holly's like crying blood and, and in the show, Janis Joplin vomits up, you know, a bunch of CGI maggots and stuff, you know, they, they become <laughs> devils, but I could also see there being an instinct uh, on King's part to write the melancholy um folksy version of this where it's a happy thing where there's a place that that they all ended up and it's kind of this you know i don't know brigadoon but with (laughs) but with legendary rock stars who died ahead of their you know died early and um uh but so it's and in my mind i maybe because even as a kid when i read this i kind of imagined the happier like love lovey version of of uh of this because in my mind when i think about the story until i reread it leading up to this like i didn't remember it being as as uh like horror you know finale as it was yeah 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 totally and and normally when you see um you know 50s and 60s nostalgia portrayed it 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 is this very sort of like um you know, cozy thing where they leave a lot out by omission and, and, you know, the, the feelings you're supposed to glean are like, kind of like pleasant ones. And this was, this was the op, you know, the opposite of that, but there's those, uh, associations are so strong, you know, when you see like those, those sets and the jukeboxes and the diners and stuff, they scan as like pleasant, <laughs> um, because that's usually the way that they're portrayed. Right. You uh, have clearly traveled a lot, you know, with the band on tour and such. Have you ever ended up in, like, what's the weirdest place you, ed- <laughs> have you ever, ever ended, ended, up? ended up in rock and roll heaven? Yeah. Like, have you, like, <laughs> uh, what's the weirdest place you ever accidentally found yourself while out there on the road? Man. On on tour, you, you know, you, you have at least one rock and roll heaven experience a day. <laughs> <laughs> I heard someone say that about Spinal Tap, and it's true. But um, yeah, man. I mean, God, we've been to so so many strange little places, and uh, we we still tour and do shows quite a bit. Um, I'm trying to think of any spots that stand out as being particularly haunted or weird. Um, well, uh, we did stay. Or just a place you're not supposed to be. You oh, know we... what I mean? Like you you took a wrong turn and you end up like. Okay. Well, the thing le- leaping to mind right now is um, have you guys, have you guys ever stayed at, um, the ambassador in in milwaukee no i think i've heard of this one is it um is that the one that uh, dead man's party was was based on the the, that Um, song it's it's the one where jeffrey dahmer stayed and yeah yeah and and it's right across the street from the rave which is you know like a like a seminal you know like club venue in milwaukee i think it's still there i hope it is it's it's a really strange venue too like there are these underground rooms and there's like a massive swimming pool empty swimming pool and like no lights underneath it there's it's really really oh i don't like that yeah um (laughs) there's some like 
there's some like Nazi lore that goes along with it. I oh, don't exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's a really weird room, but across the street from it is the Ambassador Inn. They've recently done it up and kind of uh, made it sort of attractive and like it, it, it looks like, I don't know, a normal kind of hotel. But um, when we first stayed there, it would have been in like 98 or 99 and it was just like a total, a total dump. And um, I just remember we were all just like our guitar player wouldn't get under the covers. He just like slept on top of the bed and all, all of his clothes. <laughs> That's not going to protect you from ghosts. Come on. Yeah, now. It's not going to protect you from ghosts. Sweet pea. Um, yeah, it will from Jeffrey Dahmer though. If he, if he comes back. So yeah. Yeah. No, notoriously, yeah, be, he couldn't get fair, through. Covers. I don't think a devay would, would deter, <laughs> would be, you know, Jeffrey yeah. Dahmer. A cannibal. Well, yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer like stayed there for a while. I think he was like a kind of a long-term resident of the ambassador. Inn. so, wow. Yeah, that was, yeah. that was kind of creepy. I'm wondering what the one I was thinking of, because there was one that was like notorious for being a very haunted hotel somewhere in like the, the Midwest or the North where, um, Danny Elfman like stayed stayed there and like got the idea for Dead Man's Party. Oh uh, shit, that's cool. It, but it was like a really creepy haunted place that's like famous for like a mom pushing kids her kids out the window of the top floor or something. And apparently that mo- happened multiple times in that room. And it was so that's why it's what it's more it than happened just more like than once. Up. Yeah, it was like multiple like parents over a series of like ten or twenty years would that's shove their kids fucked. out of the. It oh, would have, yeah. So at least that was the legend. I don't know how true it is. It would have been really wild if it was the same lady. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, like I can to, only do this every nine years or so. You <laughs> new know, <crop> kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We um, we had another fucked up experience in uh, Savannah, Georgia. Like, um, have you guys ever been there? Mm, no, I've, I've been to Georgia, but not Savannah. Yeah, it's really pretty and like. Um, yeah, but but we we were like maybe doing like a meet and greet or something. It was before our show. We were on tour with Third Eye Blind at the time, and this young girl came up to us, like maybe college age girl, and you know seemed normal um, and stuff until she started like talking and <laughs> and and she was. <laughs> but like she looked fine but then she started speaking and all hell broke loose yeah yeah and <laughs> and she was like hey so um you know i'm a fan of your band and stuff you know this is cool um there's a woman um who's who's here who i'd love to have speak with you um her son frederick is jesus christ oh. uh reincarnate and naturally yeah and she's you know she she'd really like to talk to you so it's like this woman had sent this girl to kind of like do an intro for her so we were like oh okay (laughs) and and then see how this plays out (laughs) yeah 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 front front row seats for for this and my cousin who is the reincarnation of jesus noticed you from across the bar and (laughs) yeah we're wondering if you want to hang out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this woman much older or, you know, I don't know. I, this was a while ago, but I'm guessing like, you know, maybe the woman's like in her 40s or something like that came up to us and she just started like verbal vomiting about, um, 
you know, the end times and her son, Frederick, who is, who is Christ. And she gave us this huge uh, packet of papers. And, you know, after finally being able to say, oh, thanks so much, you know, we're out of here. Uh, like we went, looked at them in the dressing room and it was just all these bizarre newspaper clippings and poems. And uh, I remember one about like an angel's wings being ripped and torn and this weird shit. <clears throat> um, yeah, we were, we were like legitimately spooked about that. And like, you know, this was during like the laser pointer craze where people were bringing those things to shows yeah. and you'd end up with them like, you know, on your face and stuff. We're like, we were like, are we about to get, are we about to get murdered by the predator? Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess those are the two like kind of uh, Stephen King-esque <laughs> well, I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious what they wanted you to do with this information. Yeah, I feel like they wanted us to like spread the gospel. I think it was okay. They were doing a sort of evangelism. Well, that single is still waiting to be written. Yeah, I was going like. to say you, yeah. you didn't write write that song, did you? Well, look, we're talking about it now on this podcast. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe Anything can happen. Be yes. to, yeah, to follow a King Cast listener will now write the song about Frederick Christ. Yeah, exactly. Fred Christ. Yeah, right Freddy on. Christ, who who is who will who will lead us all to the seventh circle of rock and roll heaven? If you <laughs> if you ended up in rock and roll heaven, like the town, who's there? And I'm not as like I'm like set like set aside who's alive or dead. I'm 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 curious who your icons are. Well, I mean, Tom Petty is like in the number one spot. He's quite dead, so. I think I'd be willing to meet evil fucked up Tom Petty rather than <laughs> meet no Tom Petty at all. You know, right. definitely him. Um, Jim Morrison pops up in the story. And like when I, when I was in uh, middle school, like I went through a period where I was like super into the doors, which I think is standard issue for yeah. most eighth graders. Uh, you get <laughs> right. really entranced by that. Uh, I think he's like annoying as fuck now. You know, when I like I there's still quite a bit of Doors music I like. So, but yeah, um, I, I think they get a, a bad rap in a way. Um, and I think it's mostly because Jim Morrison was like so annoying when you step aside from everything going on with the, you know, the Doors and his whole persona. If you like separate yourself from that and just look objectively at Jim Morrison. I think yeah. he would like the worst guy you could ever find yourself in a room having a drink with, right? Totally, totally like, f you know, freshman, uh, yes, po poet, <laughs> narcissist, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you know, with all the accoutrements. Yeah, I've liked to imagine how, how brutal Jim Morrison would be if he were still alive today and like on Instagram, you know? Can you imagine? Imagine him on Twitter doing his yeah. little poetries and what have you. Like it would be the it would be so fucking skin crawling, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like the yeah. Stones are still out touring, but they're not tweeting. You know, fucking Jim Morrison's gonna be tweeting. Jim Morrison's <laughs> Jim Morrison's gonna be posting, man, big time. <laughs> yeah. So who else? Like staff out your your rock and roll heaven uh, concert right. at the end of this thing. Okay. All right. Um, 
a I don't know how many of your listeners are aware of uh, the power pop band, the Muffs, but like they, oh, hell yeah. All right. Yeah. One, one of my favorite bands of all time. Um, I got to see them live a couple times when I was in high school. Um, one of the times was that they, they played at this little all ages coffee shop that my band would play at called Eagles coffee pub in, in North Hollywood. And um, it was like, 150 capacity tops um and they just fucking crushed it in there kim shattuck the singer and guitar player and screamer um was and is like one of my favorite like you know writers rock stars of all time so kim shattuck's gonna be in my rock and roll heaven for sure man who else? I got a couple of names that I'd yeah. throw in there. Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, John Lennon, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 Freddie Mercury. Uh, uh, bon Scott, probably. Oh, hell yeah. Um, you know, th- those are the the ones that I think. I mean, I know that like Rock and Roll Heaven is like kind of built around the 50s and 60s era. But uh, yeah, uh, ignore you know, all that for right now. Yeah, but I, I, I think. Like- yeah, I, I feel like Bon Scott, like a rock star like that in rock and roll heaven might be like benevolent and, and altruistic. <laughs> right. You know? That's the, the opposite. Because it seems to be like the inverse of what their, you know, public facing vibe was. Right. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah. So in, like in rock and roll thing. heaven, it'd be like the, the DOs and stuff would be would be the good helping people. Yeah. And all the, the pure <laughs> the, the Dio helping people. Oh man, I yeah. wish you would have. I wish you would have done something like. Oh yeah, that's funny. All, all like the hard rock dudes and then the metal guys. Yeah, what? they, they yeah. end up being the helpful ones. Totally. And, uh, Dimebag Daryl. Dimebag Daryl. They're the angels. Oh, Dimebag, and all the demons. dude. Fucking yeah. what a baller that guy was. Yeah. Dime One name we haven't discussed, like Bowie. Bowie's my headliner Bowie? on oh, this yeah, fucking sure. Like, yeah, oh my Bowie's god. Bowie's in mind. Bowie's in mind too, for sure. It's a fun it's a fun thing to think about. You know, like you you know, everyone has their own list of of people, but it's a fun it's a fun thing to think about. Like when I asked you the question though, I wasn't thinking they would be the evil versions, but oh, you're right. right. Like they would be the evil versions, right. you know? So, you know, I I would love to see like, you know, evil Johnny Cash out there. Yeah. Right. You know, let's see let's see let's see how much angrier Trent Reznor can get um, <laughs> on this stage, you know, like yeah. he's got to be there too. Um, fuck, who else? I mean, there's there's so many you mentioned yeah, the yeah. Stones and yeah, Dolly Parton. Brian Let's Jones. get evil Dolly Parton. Oh my god, can you stage, imagine? Dude. Brian Jones would be would be cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, evil Dolly Parton. Yeah, who are some other like e- e- evil? Uh, fuck, what's his name? Uh, Davy Jones from the Monkeys. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, just yeah. trying to find like the the most like George Harrison, the piece yeah. of love people. This yeah. is I... the last train to Clarksville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's the. I mean, that's the the interesting thing about like the whole nostalgia angle is that he turns it into like an, an evil thing. I mean, cause look at uh, 
Janis Joplin is probably the the most malevolent force in the in the whole of the uh, the adaptation of it, right? She's the one that's the creepiest. She gets the most screen time. Yeah. Like she seems to be more malicious than than almost everybody, except for Ricky Nelson. For whatever reason, they decided to make R- Ricky Nelson the the uh, the like the muscle that's like jumping on the car and shit. Yeah, the zombie um, muscle. But yeah, but like, you know, she wasn't known for being like, you know, a rude person or, or I mean, it's it, so it it would be that thing where like, for real, it feels like they're taking, he's taking the most pure, like happy nostalgia or whatever, and, and mixing that with the sadness of, of the early death and like just turning it into like this demonic thing, which yeah. is, again, it's so fascinating. I keep getting hung up on it, but it's like, it's that decision by itself to me is the most fascinating thing about the story. You know, because he could have very easily have gone and embraced the nostalgia because this is in the time where he was well into having written his Shawshanks and and, uh, the bodies and all that stuff. So, you know, he was definitely comfortable in that mode. And I I can imagine there being a version of this that is like the shot, like um, uh, uh, the body, which is Stand By Me, which is more about this is what, you know, a happy, you know, uh, a nostalgic Mm -hmm. remnants, you know. Yeah, no, that's really cool and makes it much more of a parable than than camp, you know, right. Even though I feel like when he was like, you know, I think he had a bit of a sense of humor. He must have because the premise, you know, in the, the story, the written story is, you know, there's humorous elements to it also. But um, yeah, if the thesis is kind of like nostalgia is poison which I think it probably was. That's uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty deep. Well, and especially coming from a writer who is so he wears his heart on the sleeve with his nostalgia. Like he loves that, you know, old time rock and roll. Right. So the knowing how much King loves this kind of stuff, you know, that adds another layer to, to that whole conversation of him, like actually examining that nostalgia, because this isn't something he's writing that, Oh, this is a fun idea. Like I believe that Stephen King himself would be interested in going to this town. Like if he he was on his motorcycle and drove into this town, exactly as written with all these, uh, you know, uh, rock and roll icons that he grew up loving and and has loved, he would be just as excited as the husband character is. Yeah. So he's like maybe centering himself a little bit in the critique and he's not saying he's too good to, you know, find enjoyment in nostalgia. He doesn't scoff at it. Right. Maybe is also issuing a little bit of a warning too. I don't know. Right. I feel like nostalgia, you know, particularly pop culture nostalgia is stronger now than it's ever been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I have opinions about that. I'm, I'm curious how you feel about that, Max. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree. It, it certainly seems like, you know, all the blockbuster movies are remakes, reduxes of something. Yeah. And I don't really know what's going on with pop music, to be honest with you. I like to, I don't, <laughs> I don't really pay attention. Like I know, I know some of the names and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but uh, I guess there is, you know, um, yeah. I mean, there's always a new, you know, a fourth and fifth wave of like, I guess right now you could say it's pop punk with like machine gun Kelly doing like these you know or attempting to do the genre kind of but with like 
loops or whatever. Do you think it's dangerous to be living this this much in the past? It seems to me like, you know, nostalgia as a concept is not a thing I have a problem with. Mm -hmm. But every fucking day I log into Twitter or just the Internet in general, and it's like we're like constantly obsessing over it. And, yeah. and and reveling in it, and I think there's I think there's something fucking sad about it. Like, uh, yeah, you, you know, it's you know, grown adult men crying about Star Wars and shit, and you know, like superhero movies. Like, what am I what am I supposed to do with this other than mock it? Like, like I get that you love these things, but also it's not the same when I was a kid. Shut the fuck up. Nothing's the same as when you were a kid. Yeah, I'm all for people like getting their kicks where they can and stuff like that. But I do think it's, it's kind of symptomatic of an oppressive feeling that <laughs> there's like no future, you know, it's uh, that's interesting. sort of a, a lack of imagination attendant to that. It's just like looking back, looking back, looking back. What are you and most nostalgic for? Do you have a time period where you're like, I wish this was happening again? I just wrote this like short article for Popula um, about the Internet Archive and the, um, you know, these big publishers who are trying to sue them out of existence to basically turn reading into, you know, put it squarely in the platform capitalist realm with subscription services and all of that stuff and and i was like writing about how myself and my guitar player you know we used to go to like poobah records in pasadena and collect vinyl and shop by label and and all of that stuff and john still has his my guitar player still has his collection my brother pawned my records for drugs the minute i i <laughs> i went out on tour <laughs> but like John still has his and there's such like a potent kind of like, yeah, heady nostalgia um, in those works of visual and audio art. And there's something precious about them. I'm not quite sure what draws the distinction in my mind between that kind of pleasant nostalgic experience and one that I... Like, I don't particularly like to listen to 80s, 90s radio or any of that. Like, I don't know. There's something kind of depressing about that to me. But then every <laughs> once in a while, I will hear an older song that I loved and be and be moved by it. I don't know if I'm making sense. I guess I'm, I'm trying to like. No, I get it. I really? get it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know, a song that I, I recently gotten very into that I like I knew this song. I was alive for it when it happened and it dropped and it was a big deal. It, it just wasn't what I was paying attention to at the time it was released, which would have been 95, 96. But uh, Mark Morrison's Return of the Mac. Do you know that song? Oh, shit. It's a great fucking song. Like, you've definitely heard this song. You might not recognize it by name, but you, like if I played it, you would you would understand what I'm talking about. And yeah. in like rediscovering it, I, I kind of felt like. Man, I, I missed out on a lot of shit because when I was younger, I was listening to these other artists who were definitely of a type. You know, like when I was in high school, it was like Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, fucking Corn, Tool, that kind of shit. 
you know, yeah. like, like those are the albums I had. Um, but I wasn't really yeah. paying Can I a lot. 10 seconds of that song real quick, just to jog my memory. I have it. pulled. Yeah, up. go for it. Of course. You got to get to the chorus. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I heard this recently. Uh, well, I've been tweeting about it. You might have oh, noticed so it in good. your feed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fucking, it's it's great. Um, but like in, in uh, like I was saying, in rediscovering the song, I realized that, you know, I missed out on like a lot of 90s R&B. The, the thing about growing up in the 90s was like, you picked a type of music and you identified with it. Right. You no know, whole cloth. And you didn't really deviate from, from that. It's like for us, it was like punk rock and you know, you didn't want your friends to know that you also enjoyed, you know, <laughs> Hey, jealousy or something. Like right, right. I was the same way. And I will like hear songs from, you know, that time that, weren't on my radar for that reason because i had this like uh yeah yeah kind of myopic kind of taste thing and be like oh shit and that's different than nostalgia i think because you're hearing something as if it's new right yes yes exactly yeah it's less going back than it is just appreciating a thing for for the first time Although you can hear a song from that era and it takes you back to that era, whether whether you've heard the song or not. That's true. Before. Um, and, you know, and that's a big component to this. But I'm also the wrong person <laughs> to jump in with this because I've always been way behind the fucking times on, on all this shit. I, I wasn't. I like 80s music now. I would live through the 80s and I didn't listen to any modern 80s stuff. I was always listening to Beatles and Beach Boys and Zeppelin and you know, oh, yeah. Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. And like I, I was I was the the, the stuff that my parents listened to was the stuff that I, I was into the stuff they grew up with. So I've pretty much from the beginning, essentially been a nostalgia baby, even for a, a a time period I never existed in, you know, I've always lived in the past. So the Beatles were like that for me. Um, like the other example where like I bristled at the Beatles for Mm -hmm. a teenager. And even in my early twenties, I was just like, this sounds like fucking carnival music. I I don't, I I can't (laughs) imagine caring about this at all. It doesn't move me with some exceptions. Like I remember come together, digging come together, but I think that's because I liked the Aerosmith version. Right. Um, But then I did that thing where I was like, okay, every single one of my favorite songwriters absolutely worships this band. So I'm obviously missing something and, and, and did this, you know, counterintuitive deep dive where I kind of made the decision to like them and just like immerse myself in Beatles music, listening, listen to nothing but Beatles music for a while and like learned the songs on, on guitar and stuff like that. Um, and, yeah, it's which is a cool thing. It's like when your taste doesn't automatically go to a thing, but it, it's funny how much it's a choice for me, at least at, at the mm. end of the day. I I can like decide to like something, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that switch is flipped for you for whatever reason. You just go, yep, I am now open to this when I wasn't before. Yes, 
Yeah. Well, and the Beatles to me, it's fairly easy. Like the Beatles is, is something that I, you know, I've been obsessed with since I was a kid and I've never lost it, but it's, yeah, you know, it's just it's, foundational shit. It, you know? It's just the music doesn't exist the way it exists now. You you can't like any modern music and not at least give some respect to the Beatles. No, you know wh- whether you like. I mean, they they did everything. They pioneered so much. Like listen to Helter Skelter. You know, would we have uh, you know alt rock without Helter Skelter? Probably not in the same form. You know, no, it's no. like no. I mean, yeah. I, I I could listen if you told me I could only listen to the Beatles for the rest of my life at this point, I would be fine. I would be fine with that. Like that. <laughs> well, and very um, much like Stephen King, it's like they were prolific and they just knocked out fucking number one, you know, top of the chart stuff every single fucking time uh, to the point where a lot of their like lesser heard stuff feels just like, uh, like I found that when I went back to let it be, when I went back to that album, um, and this is well before the Peter Jackson documentary. Uh, but I went back there going, and there's like two or three songs on there that are huge, huge, huge songs. I think is Hey Jude on there. I think it, it, or there's some, one of those like giant massive hits comes off of that, but the rest of the songs on there don't get much, uh, radio play and don't get, uh, played much. So when I went back to that and we're talking like the early teens, it felt like finding a lost Beatles album, you know, it felt yeah, like cracking totally. open Prince's, uh, fucking vault and finding, you know, finding a, a lost, uh, Prince album, you know? Yeah. He, he's another one who would be in rock and roll heaven probably. Oh too. yeah, absolutely. Um, let it be is, uh, my friend, Chris Collingwood from fountains of Wayne's favorite Beatles record. And, and uh, you know, Fountains of Wayne admit, admittedly rips, you know, from or ripped from the Beatles. Uh, yeah, but I, I shouldn't even say that is heavily, you know, in, influenced, influenced by right. them or whatever. But same, um, same diff, but you know, one's yeah. a little bit more political. I get it. Yeah, and um, <laughs> he he got me going back to that record. That yeah, it does get get like written off or at least not included in people's you know best best Beatles albums. Right. Well, but, I think it got tied to that. There was that original documentary that all the footage from the Peter Jackson one was shot for that was like, and had been out of print forever, but that was like originally framed as like the breakup of the Beatles and, and, you know, this contentious, evil, awful thing. And so I think a lot of fans put that onto the, the, the album itself and kind of made it the black sheep of the Beatle albums because yeah. they viewed it as the reason why the, the band broke up. Yeah, that makes sense. That getting a little in the weeds with the Beatles. This isn't the Beatles cast. This is the King cast, but still, you, yeah, you, we've, you've stumbled we've upon another one of my. Hole. Yeah, yeah. you've stumbled upon another one of my uh, my passions. So as long as you don't start talking about Spielberg films next, then uh, we'll be all right. No, yeah, we'll get we'll we'll we'll, we'll keep it to, uh, <laughs> keep it to fucking Beatles and King. So, what did you think of the performances in this episode? Oh, like we're God. we're all in agreement that mm. this is a, a bad episode of television. And, right. you know, while it's a faithful adaptation, it's also uh, trash to watch. Steven Weber's in the lead. He's, uh, he, you know, the guy from Wings. He was he was Jack Torrance in the fucking, you know, Shining miniseries that Mick Garris did. He's been in a ton of stuff. Um, very funny guy. Uh, here he, well, w- what did you, what did you think, Max? Yeah, well, I mean, he, you know, he's such an unlikable character. I feel right. like, right. I feel like he did a, a pretty good job um, in the role. There were, there were like a couple, you know, choices that they made, like just specific detailed choices in the show. Um, 
it, it almost like they really wanted to make it um, like as uncool as possible or less cool than the story, which because like <laughs> um, in the story, you know, they're like listening to Lou Reed in the car. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and the kids doing tricks in the parking lot of the restaurant are on skateboards. Yes. And I was going to bring this up. I'm glad you're bringing this up. Yeah. Yeah. And in the show they're on rollerblades and you have these like <laughs> guys who are supposed to be like, you know, scary villains and they're rollerblading, which like it, it just, yeah, it's the, that impossible you know, it's to be like, scary on rollerblades. It's just impossible. Yeah. These it's are like the least intimidating thing I can imagine. These are supposed to be like the harbingers of doom that they're eating at like a, a little diner before they like are on that stretch of road that leads them to uh rock and roll heaven. And so this is like the last, real spot of reality and there's these like <laughs> rollerblading teenage punks but they're all dressed in that like early aughts you know pants are too long and a little baggy and they're yeah. supposed to be intimidating but they just look like little dorks and they're inline skates you yeah, know and then like, yeah and you're right and in the story they're on skateboards which is a way more like grungy threatening you know like skater punk thing than than watching it'd be like being intimidated by you know people rolling up to you like you know, on a you know on, on their their four regular roller skates you know like a, a car hop or something yeah like, totally that's the not scary the skateboard trope works you know the roller rollerblade scary rollerbladers it just doesn't yeah it doesn't <laughs> doesn't work and they I'm had realizing their, like, moosed, moosed up hair and like <laughs> Yeah, very funny. But they were very much of the era where they, you know, it were a little bit before the era where they made the the adaptation. Uh, but not like it would have been one thing if they had been on those like car hop kind of skates and they were like these the like they were greaser kids or something that was out of place and a warning of what's what's ahead, but they're not. They're just like local, you know, hooligan kind of kids. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was really funny. Uh, I also noticed Steve er- in the in the the written story. They're listening to Steve Earle in mm. the diner. Um, I don't remember what they're listening to in the show, but like again, it was like a cool music choice that they jettisoned for for the show and just used more <laughs> obvious stuff. Yeah, I, ha- I have to imagine that they must have been super restricted on their uh, uh, budgetarily, uh, especially when it comes to licensing. Stuff oh, and, and stuff from that era isn't all that inexpensive, especially the fifties. So you would imagine there would have been more like chubby checker or something in there, mm-hmm. like, but they don't even get it. Like Otis Redding shows up as the, uh, as a, as like a cop, he's like the sheriff of, of the town yeah. and he comes up to the car and like, it's a big reveal of who it is and he's whistling, but like, he's not whistling sitting on the dock of the bay, which would have been the obvious fucking thing, right? Like that's yeah. the, the lead up. He's whistling this thing that you remember. And then you see the name tag, you know, Redding or whatever. You're like, Holy shit, that's Otis Redding. Right. But, like they couldn't even get the rights to have the character whistle sitting on the dock of the bay, you know? It was also it was also really funny that their choice for Jimi Hendrix was to for him to play the Star Spangled Banner, um, probably because it's public domain, yeah. and not like <laughs> Purple Haze or something. You know, I'm looking I'm looking at Wikipedia right now, like the list of like musicians that appear in the in the story. So and it's separated between like, you know, the concert itself, people around town, and who's in the diner. Right. Right. And uh, just to dip back to Jim Morrison for a second, 
like the around town section has it's like this is what it reads ronnie van zandt dwayne allman barry oakley otis redding comma police officer elvis presley <laughs> comma mayor uh-huh. so on and so forth and then jim morrison comma the lizard king even that uh-huh. is fucking annoying yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, come on man what else do i got you got anything eric no, you hit you hit up everything I was wanting to hit. I was I was holding that uh, the skater punk versus inline skate thing in my back pocket for for the right <laughs> moment. And you you pulled it out. So yeah, when y'all were talking about that, I realized like that's that's something Kevin Smith did with Dogma because he had the three teens on rollerblades. That's right. You know, going around killing people, and I had the same reaction. Oh, it was like this is just not threatening. This is this is you know, I like but that. Dogma. Actually, seems to play into. Uh, the you know the idea that they're not threatening and they're these these little kids or whatever that do fucked up crazy things while they're on their non-threatening little roller skates. But from the get-go, you're supposed to be scared of these of these punks. And uh, I guess it's also worth mentioning that the story in the short is told from the wife's perspective, and about half of the show is, and the other half is from Stephen Weber's perspective. The point of view is so muddled in the show is one of the reasons why it doesn't work, but it really is. It's so confusing. Yeah. But Not the, confusing. cause all you're getting all these flashes from the, from the, uh, the wife who Kim Delaney, is like, by the way, yes. And she, but she's having like these nightmare visions while she's asleep of like the rollerblading kids and a finger stuck in a jukebox. And, and, and then she like imagines her uh, husband is an old man and she's an old woman. And, and all that is like, that's a direct one-to-one would from the story where she has like, they, it, but it works as an offhand mention uh, in the short story of like, can she imagine herself with, with her husband in 30 years and, and the thought depresses mm-hmm. her or whatever. Right. But it's, but it's done in such a, like a weird one-to-one that there's no narrative reason for any of this stuff to happen. And it just makes the whole thing feel disjointed. Yeah. Especially because there's other obviously fantasy stuff that's happening. That's actually happening. Uh, or at, at least in the story, like right. they really are seeing blood come out of the eyes of buddy Holly yeah. But but when she's having these like fever dreams and stuff, that's just in her mind. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it was a little tough to parse. Like, is this is, is this an ex, an experience that that, you know, an objective person could bear witness to or or is this just happening in her head? Because there's all this other insane psych, psychedelic shit that, right. you know, yeah. Makes me wonder if there was ever any thought to like having the wife get out uh, of town. Like, is it the way the thing ends is that they, they uh, try to escape. They almost do. Then Jimi Hendrix and his party bus block him in and Elvis takes him back into town. And essentially the, the thought is once you've watched one of these uh, nightly performances, you're going to be kind of trapped in the town. And yeah. then, you know, who knows the next day they'll, they'll wake up and they'll be, you know, pumping gas or, you know, they'll mm-hmm. be the post post person. Um, but since so much of it seems to be around based around the marriage, not really working and her questioning the marriage and him, you know, the husband being stubborn and not wanting to admit when he's wrong and also being attracted to the nostalgia in a way that she isn't where if naturally this should have been a separation story where, where, he, you know, he ends up, staying and she ends up getting out you know that that yeah. kind of feels the, mm. the natural 
way. I I'm, I'm wonder if that was ever something that came across King's mind while he was writing it or any of the minds of the people adapting it, you know, as yeah, uh, that's an interesting they kind thought. of double down in the, on that. Yeah, it is. I'm also thinking too, like going back to, uh, you know, the nostalgic conversation and being like pulled into hell basically by this pleasant feeling that you get from it. But it's like, um, you know, there, there, <laughs> there are worse hells than rock and roll heaven too. Like, because, right. okay. So they're stuck in this place, but they do, get to listen to like um <laughs> you know, they do get to watch like all all of the greats play shows every night and stuff right. um in an aesthetically idyllic town at least even if they are zombies um you know i'd take that over the southern baptist version of the <laughs> right Empire. yeah it no, would I'll be funny like half a- of the heavens that are out there too yeah, a, new, yeah we'll a new version of this, like updated with other acts that might be more horrifying, would be funny. Like, for instance, <laughs> you know, like modern, you know, somewhat modern, let's say early aughts. Um, Imagine Dragons. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> you, you know, like every night you're going to see a concert headlined by Smash Mouth. Yeah. And yeah. they're going to play fucking All Star or whatever that song is called like over and over and over again and uh good luck with that i think that's way more horrifying than say like roy orbison and elvis and jimmy and fucking like yeah i could probably do i could probably get through some weeks of that before i'd get bored with it oh same same yeah totally and maybe they're even changing up the set list every night you know in which case i would assume so for a while yeah and I'm if imagining not, I've been like, spending my entire life re-listening to the, all those songs. So, yeah, like have you, have you ever seen Blues Brothers 2000? Uh-huh. No, fucking terrible movie. But at the very end, there's like this huge fucking concert, right? And they bring out like everybody. Like I, I think Tom Petty's in there. I think Clapton is in there. He's a fucking lunatic anyway, though. Uh, like Erica uh, Badu. Badu, I think, yeah. is in there. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's just like this massive, like music. It's a massive show, and they're they're just kind of making it up as they go along, and that's what I would imagine would happen in, you know, in this case. I, I do. I I don't think there's a a set set list. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think there's some you know some some improvising. You get to see some you know spontaneous like never before recorded you know Hendrix solos yeah yeah it's basically like a giant jam band yeah exactly which i'm usually not into but you know with these people involved i I would fuck around with that my luck i would find uh rock and roll heaven and be like nothing but fish or something you know (laughs) it would just be knowing that that each yeah each fucking set's gonna be seven and a half days long you know i I haven't (laughs) tried to like fish yet i i did say that i would because i kind of like got into some pretty good natured uh you know beef stuff with some fish fans who who, hmm. who I, i've i i actually really like as as a collective that they, they seem they seem pretty cool but uh right. yeah yeah it's like the but, new grateful dead fans those yeah guys. yeah but i've been meaning to uh see if i could make the decision to like fish for a while i just i keep forgetting to actually put it up. <laughs> it's just i don't i i don't i don't need a fucking 14 minute version of a song yeah you know I, like i don't i i think i just don't like that style of that's kind of what pearl jam has has turned into over time like they're doing yeah. 
you know, and they lost me somewhere along the way. I still, you know, those albums were formative to me in yeah. like middle school and high school, like those first three particularly. But after that, it started kind of going off the reservation a little bit and they became a touring band. And that's, that's great. It just, as much as I, I love those early albums, I, I couldn't follow them down that path. You know, I, I, I completely hear you. Yeah. I, I, I like a three and a half minute song that I, you know, that I wish would go on forever, but I'm glad it doesn't, you know, rather right. than, yeah. Too um, much of a good thing. Yeah. You get Have you ever met Eddie Vedder? No, never met, never met Eddie Vedder. I'd be curious what that guy's fucking like. Yeah. <laughs> same. Who's I, the, I told it, he's really cool. The, uh, the, um, the guy who produced our, the first two Eve six records engineered 10, the, the Pearl Jam 10 and, christ like i forget who the like executive producer on that record was but wasn't it butch vig i don't think so let's look yeah let's <laughs> check it out <laughs> was it michael beinhorn it was a major dude yeah it wasn't butch vig producer rick parashar okay um I guess he wasn't in the studio that much for the actual sessions and, and Don, the guy who produced our records, who engineered that um, ended up like working out a lot of the harmonies with Eddie Vedder, who had never sung harmonies before to like his own melodies. Um, what? Yeah. That's weird. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that seems like a thing he's very talented at. Or maybe maybe just didn't have a lot of experience doing it or whatever. This is coming from from Don, who 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 I trust. He's not like a sure self-aggrandizing guy. Um, uh, and he's a brilliant like harmony or writer too, and arranger and stuff like that. That's just that's like his his skill set. He's real real good at it. And he said that he went to go see Pearl Jam like. This would have been in maybe like the early 2000s or something. Um, no, this would have been this would have been in like the 2010s because we were working with him at the time. It was 2012. Oh, this is Don Gilmore. Yeah. Yeah. OK, Don cool, Gilmore. cool, cool, cool. And um, he Don said that he he was like he was wondering if Eddie was going to even remember him or anything like that. And he said that when Eddie saw him. He like went up to him, gave him a big hug and was like, dude, you taught me, you taught me how to write harmonies or sing harmonies or something, something fucking crazy like that. You don't quote me directly on that, but it was something to that effect and made Don feel awesome. That's fucking, that's really rad. Yeah. You must have, you must have done a lot of like festival shows over the year, you, you, over the years you've, you, you know, shared a stage with a number of different bands. Yeah. Besides Eve Six itself, uh, what was the most reckless band you've ever you've <laughs> ever worked with? Like, the, just crazy most, shit. Um, the most reckless band. Well, the guys from Sum Forty One, who who I love and we did tours with and yeah. stuff like that, they were fucking out of their trees. Uh, <laughs> out of their <laughs> trees. I've never heard that before. That's great. Yeah, they were they were nuts for sure. Um, and they had this uh, 
they had this feud with SR-71, I think, because <laughs> they, they probably rightfully assumed that, like, SR-71 was, like, trying to sound like some 41 or something. I don't know who fucking knows. It's real stupid. Right. Um, but, yeah, they... I remember them coming up to me after some like radio festival show somewhere and they were all like drunk and giddy and shit. And they were like, we just slashed SR 71's bus tires. Fuck it. <laughs> I was like, damn, you guys are fucking taking this shit pretty seriously. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah. That's um, great. Yeah. I was, that was pretty funny. Uh, good dudes though. Yeah, I don't know. Fucking reckless shit, man. Um, I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty you, good, right? Yeah, Flashing I mean, that's a, that's a great story. Fires. Yeah. That, yeah, that, you that. don't have to top uh, right. that. That's that's really great. Okay, good. Yeah, but nobody's going to get canceled for it, so you're it's, it's a perfect uh, example. <laughs> no, yeah, we can all yeah. celebrate that, I think. You right, know? I think so, too. Um, well... I think we've I, th- I think we've probably run out of things to talk about in terms of you know they got a hell of a band, um, but before we go, uh, let's tell the people where they can find you, uh, where you're doing your column, like whatever you want to tease that you're working on next. You know, um, this is your chance to, you know, promote away, please. Awesome, awesome, thank you. Um, yeah, so the um, on Twitter it's at Eve Six. Um, that's where I overpost the <laughs> advice. The advice column is an input magazine. And, you know, I, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll, you'll see that. And if you're also inclined to write into the advice column, you can do that at eve 6 at inputmag.com. We have a new uh, full length record coming out in a few weeks i forget exactly what the date for that is but we just put out the first single for it yesterday i saw that um, yeah yeah it's called i saw Mr. you taking Dark heat Dark. for the album artwork what's that i saw you taking heat for the album artwork from that one showed yeah yeah you, i took a little yeah. heat from the for the album artwork the the facebook you know the facebook fans they're they're a different animal they're not they're you know they're not uh a lot of them aren't aware of like um sort of the way we're treating our band as a side project now. So they get a little, they get a little, a little baffled, which is, which is, which is fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> the cover of the album is our good friend, comedian, Jake Flores um, photo of him looking, looking happy. And uh, yeah, so we put that song out yesterday. You can check it out. It's called Mr. Dark side. And that's about it. Well, we we thank you for being here today. We encourage all our listeners to go seek out the new shit and, you know, definitely to read that column. It's a it's a I love it. Um, And, you you know, a real you know, this is a real pleasure to to talk to you today. Like I uh, like I said before we started recording, like you're that, that first album was like the soundtrack to to you know, a big chunk of my high school years, it was always being played somewhere. And, yeah, you, you know, couldn't escape fucking, you know, songs that were on the radio at that time. You just really didn't have a choice, but to hear them for better or for <laughs> worse. To be I fair, still- I didn't feel like I needed a, an escape. Like it's, it's like, I, I, I liked you guys a lot. It was a little Thanks. outside of what, you know, I was normally drawn to, but like given the acts that were around at that time, 
uh, one of the better ones, I think, you know, like, yeah. Um, and so this is, is a real surreal thing. Like we've, you know, we have a lot of, you know, famous people on the show and we talk to them. Um, but it's always really fucking weird when we find ourselves talking to people that, you know, were sort of happening in the background of our, our formative years. And this is surreal, this conversation to me. Are you, and are you saying it's a little nostalgic for you talking? <laughs> Let's right not go down that road. We don't want to do that, but you know, thank you so much for being here. And this, this, this was great. And you know, we wish you well. No guys, I really enjoyed it. And thanks for saying that. I've, uh, yeah, this was this was a pleasure, and it was fun talking to you about it. Many thanks to Max Collins for joining us to talk about yet another unfortunate Nightmares and Dreamscapes mm-hmm. adaptation, uh, and also the uh, really kind of creepy short story. It, it's so funny when we announced that we were doing this as a title. Like the predominant flavor of response that we got on Twitter was like, you know, that one really creeped me out for some reason. And there is something about the story that yeah. gets under under your skin. And I think we tackled it a little bit in this episode where it's kind of that subversion of like all these really nice guy personalities and something demonic and evil. You right, know? right. You know, I think that's probably the key there. But people smarter than us will will have to tell us. <laughs> if I'm that and the ending, you know, sending people out on a note of this concert's going to go on forever. You right. know, it's just sort of there's something hellish about that. And uh I think I think people are probably responding to that as well. For but sure. yeah, it was uh, and it was great talking to Max. I, like I I believe it's been a while since we recorded that one, but I believe I told him it's fucking weird to be talking to that guy <laughs> after you know hearing his songs in like everything you know through the the back half of the nineties. So uh, really cool to have him on. It's always a pleasure, and I do like it when we're able to somehow line up. Uh, guests and material in, in this yes. way, you know, I, I can't imagine. I'm listen. A, anybody who wants to come on and talk about Stephen King, you know, that's uh, that's somebody we respect and all that. That's always going to be great. But uh, having an actual rock star coming in to talk about, you know, rock and roll heaven and talk about, you know, they got a hell of a band. It's, uh, you know, I don't know. It was a good pairing. I yeah. I was really happy that you that you were able to lock that in, Mr. Yeah, Wampler. yeah, good dude, that Max Collins. The E6 yeah, guy. I like him. So what are we doing next week? Ooh, so next week we are delving once again into Creep Show. It's a title that it feels like we hit a lot, but I think it's only because we like roll in. We've done the television series. We've done the lots on Creep Show 2 and the raft specifically, but we actually haven't done a whole lot on that very first movie. I think we've only covered it that one time, right? Yeah, that sounds right to me. So don't check our math on that, but I think that uh, that it's been a minute for sure uh, that w- since we've talked about Creepshow and the director. Well, I guess I just spoiled a little bit there. Our guest is a director. The director that's coming in to talk to us about it is a very interesting pick for this because he's mostly known for his comedic work. So mm-hmm. I have to imagine that uh, this might end up being a little bit more of a discussion of the the satire side of things. And I say might because we haven't recorded with this filmmaker yet. So we, we are slated to record mm-hmm. with them on Monday. So if for some reason uh, that gets bumped, uh, maybe there'll be a different episode next week. Uh, we don't have that in the bank just yet, but I I'm going to anticipate that the talk around creep show is going to be a little bit more on the, you know, the kind of the absurd side of the, the thing, or maybe not. Maybe this dude's a huge horror fan. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he's terrified of creep show. We don't know. Could be, but he's got a, he's got a movie coming out very soon. I've seen it. It's excellent. Uh, 
mystery comedy. I'll say that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, really excited to uh, tell him how much I like the movie and to, uh, you know, get in a creep show again. Been too long. For sure. And in terms of our Patreon bonus episode this week. Well, <laughs> speaking of mystery, uh, we're going to keep that mysterious for now because we have a couple of things that are are kicking around and uh, we're not exactly sure which one we're going to be going with on Friday to if we're going to be completely and perfectly honest with you guys. Correct. But we will have something for our Patreon uh, listeners, and if you haven't signed up, you can do so over at patreon.com slash the kingcast, and you will be immediately granted access to dozens upon dozens upon dozens into the hundreds of bonus episodes, and they're all almost all uh, equal in length to our regular episodes. Yes. Uh, so if uh, you aren't a Patreon member, a patron, as it were, then you are only getting half the show. So if you need the excuse, why don't you go sign up over there? It's fun. Yes, we have a growing community over there, much like an army that you yes. want to be a part of. Because when the end times come, you're you're going to want to be rank and file on this. You're not going to be on want to be on the outside. These are some formidable gunslingers that we're working with over here. Yeah, when the corn boys rise up out yep. of the fields, yep. and swing those sides. You're you going to need to be part of the King Cast Army if you want a chance to survive it. Yep. We're training on on the weekly. Yep, you just got to pay for the privilege. That's all. That's pretty cool. <laughs> When you think about it that way, um, it is. But uh, yeah, a um, lot of exciting shit coming up on the show. We've been right. uh, we've been locking in some names that you're going to be very excited about, and we've got a fun thing that we're going to be doing in o- October. Uh, well, two fun things, I guess. But uh, <laughs> with the show in the main feed, the the back half of this year is looking real strong for the Kingcast. I got to say. Yeah, lining up some good good folks, and we're also, you know, we release our tickets to our Bangor and Bangor event in Bangor in the middle of October, and as of this recording, I think we just have a few tickets left to the uh, actual recording, so uh, with Mike Flanagan and Kate Siegel in Bangor, so if you're on the fence, you're wanting to pull the trigger, now's the time, we're we're like legit down to the last like dozen tickets, so... So uh, good luck with that, and uh, we hope to see y'all up in Bangor in the middle of October. Indeed. Talk to you next week, folks. Hell yeah. See you next week for Creep Show. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. 